We are fist bumping, we are elbow popping, we are purchasing and hoarding toilet paper for no real apparent reason. And today we are live streaming for the very second time as a church. And so I want to say welcome. Our hope is that we could gather together soon uh, as possible. But in the meantime, welcome to church. This is church and my name is Jake and I am blessed to be a pastor around this place. Uh, today, we are starting fresh. We are starting a new 10-week series. I repeat, 10 weeks. We have never done a 10-week series before, but now we are doing a 10-week series. This will take us from Good Friday all the way into Easter and beyond. That's what's going to happen. We are simply calling this thing Peter. We're calling it Peter. Now, just to clarify, we are not talking about Pilot Pete. Uh, from The Bachelor, Peter from The Bachelor, uh, who recently got engaged to a girl, not the girl from the windmill, this is a totally different girl, but subsequently he broke off his engagement one day later on Tuesday, and if you know all those details, I just want to say to you, I know that you're locked in right now, but there are better things to do with your time. In fact, I want to go on the record and say I just had to research all that rubbish. I had no idea. And so the, the Peter in which we are talking about is Simon Peter. We are talking about Cephas, if you want to say it in Greek, the disciple. Peter, the son of John. Peter, the apostle. Peter, the saint. Peter, the rock. That is who we are talking about. We're going to spend 10 weeks talking about him. Peter is probably one of the most famous and endearing characters in all of Scripture. There's just something dynamic. There is something that is compelling about this man that draws you in. Um, I'll be honest with you, out of all the Bible characters outside of Jesus, Peter is by far my favorite. And the reason why is because I relate to the guy. I do, and so many of us, I think a lot of us relate to Peter. We find it easy to identify with him, and the reason I think so is because he's just utterly human, right? We, we can see ourselves in him and what he did, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. And so who is this Pete? Who is this Peter that we will be talking about? Peter was an uneducated fisherman. He did hard, honest labor, probably wore Carhartts, shopped at Cabela's. Peter said what was on his mind. If it was in his head, it came out of his mouth. He was most likely an Enneagram 8, which is exactly what I am and another reason why I feel like I connect with the man. Peter was all heart, all heart. In fact, my guess is the reason that Jesus was drawn to him and chose him was because um, Peter thought with his heart, not always with his head, but he thought with his heart. He was kind of like a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. Everything he did was from the heart, and everything he did was big. Peter went big or went home. He swung for the fences, and when he connected, Peter knocked it out of the park, right? He, when he swung, it was a home run. But when he missed, he missed big time, and he went down hard. Peter was either really, really right, or he was really, really wrong. For example, 
At one point in time, Jesus actually said, he asked all of the disciples, he said, um, you know, who do the people say that I am? And then they answered, and then they asked, well, who do you say that I am? And you can almost imagine the, the birds chirping as nobody said anything, and eventually Peter spoke up and he said, we think, or I think, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he nailed it on the head. When he was right, he was really right. But in the same conversation, literally just moments later, Jesus is telling his disciples about how he's going to go into Jerusalem and that he will be killed and this is what needs to be done. And Peter takes Jesus, the son of God, aside and rebukes him. And he says, never, that will never happen. And Jesus says, whoa, get behind me, Satan. He literally cussed at Peter. He says, no, that's wrong. He got it really really wrong. He's either really right or he's really wrong. When people came to arrest Jesus, when they started to arrest him and, uh, and Judas came forward, all the disciples scattered, right? But it was Peter who stayed there. He got it right, but he picked up a sword and he, he, he tried to defend and he actually tried to take off the neck, the head of a soldier and he couldn't even do that right because he got an ear. He went for the head and he got a lobe and that was it. He was either really right or he was really wrong. In the courtyard, he denies. A little girl asks him, do you know this man? You were this man, you were with Jesus. He says, no, I never knew that man. And eventually what Peter does is he stands up on Pentecost and he says, I know this man. This man is the son of God. This man is the Messiah. And he eventually, Peter, led the early church. In one word, if you could describe Peter, I would say this. I would say Peter is ordinary. Peter's like you. Peter's like me. Peter's like all of us. He's just a plain Joe kind of guy. But Jesus liked to work with the ordinary people. And as, as, uh, as Scott said last week about John Mark, that Jesus takes the ordinary and he does the extraordinary. He does the exact same thing with Peter. He takes the ordinary man and he makes him do extraordinary things through Jesus. And so Peter eventually became not Peter the ordinary, but the bold, the rock, the denier. He denied Jesus. But then he was restored and he became Peter, the preacher, the healer, the dreamer, the liberated. That is who Peter is. And so our hope for this series, 10 weeks, the whole thing, and this is important, I think this is important, is not that we would have a better understanding of who Peter is. The hope for this series, and we will learn that, is this, is to better understand Jesus through the life of Peter. We want to better have, a, have a better understanding about who Jesus is through the life of Peter. It's all about Jesus. We wouldn't even know who Peter was if it wasn't for the interactions he had with Jesus. Peter didn't live the perfect life. Peter didn't defeat death. Peter didn't rescue us from our sins. That was Jesus. Jesus did that, and Jesus is still doing that today. And so Peter simply provides us, and this is great, with an insider's perspective, kind of a re relatable viewpoint of the man who actually changed the world, and that man is Jesus. And so I want to start today off with the calling of Peter. I want to spend some time walking verse by verse by verse through Luke chapter 5. 
And just to give a little bit of clarity here, this is not the story of how Peter and Jesus met each other for the very first time. In fact, it's not the first time. Peter's brother, Andrew, at one point in time, once he met Jesus, went and found his brother and brought his brother to Jesus. And so Jesus knows, or Peter knows about Jesus. Peter knows that he's a teacher. Peter knows that there's something kind of different about this guy and maybe even something special. And that's where we pick this up in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what it says. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee, great crowds were pressing in on him. Why were they doing that? They were doing that to listen to the word of God. Word was spreading of this teacher, this guy named Jesus, and how he was preaching this good news about the kingdom. And in verse 2, it says, He, he being Jesus, noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. I find this interesting, but back then, Galilean fishermen would use bell-shaped nets with lead weights on the outside um, edges. And what they would do is they would throw these babies so that they would land flat on the water and that the weights that were on the outside would sink around the fish. And then the fishermen would pull a cord. And that cord would cinch up the fish that were inside. This throwing became like an art form. And so fishermen were spending a lot of time with their nets. Their nets were really important with them because it was their livelihood. And so they needed to clean and they needed to mend them every single day to get the weeds and the junk. And if there was a hole in your net, then you're not going to catch a whole lot of fish. And so they cared for these nets and they kept them in good condition. And that's what these fishermen were doing. And in verse 3, it says, Jesus stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon. Now, Simon would later go by the name Peter. And he's the boat's owner. And Jesus asked Simon, the boat's owner, to push out a little from the shore. Then Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. Unlike today, the standard, the common, the customary way in which the position that you should be teaching from back then was a sitting position, not a standing position. It was a sitting position, which would be really nice at times, would be nice to just kind of sit down. Um, but Jesus was sitting in this boat, and the, the, it was an ideal conditions for teaching because Jesus pushed the boat out just a little ways from the shore, and the crowds that were pressing in on him could now all see Jesus. And not only could they see Jesus, they could hear Jesus. Because water... Uh, it, it, it does a great job for allowing sound to just fly right through so that you can hear. You can hear clear, like, a, like an amphitheater, if you will. So everyone could see, everyone could hear. And then what happens is this in verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now, go out where it is deeper and let down your nets for a catch. And this part of the passage is hilarious to me. Because if you think about it from Peter's perspective, there is a carpenter instructing a fisherman on how to fish, 
right? Of course, we know that that carpenter is, is God in the flesh, that he created fish, that he created fishing. So he probably knows how to catch fish. But from Peter's perspective, he simply knows that this is a carpenter, a teacher who is asking him or instructing him on how to fish. I love fishing. I talk about this a lot because um, it's one of my favorite things to do is to go fishing. Well, where I love to go fishing the most is on the Quinault Indian Reservation. I go there several times a year, and I fish for salmon for a handful of days, and I love it. And we have been going there, uh, my family and me, my dad and me, we have been going there for probably, gosh, maybe 15, 18 years now. And we've been going with the same guide. And this guide is not really a guide anymore. He is a friend. And this is a picture of my friend. His name is Archie. And Archie isn't the friendliest guy on the planet. In fact, when I asked him to take a picture, this is how he waved at me on the boat. This is how Archie is. Archie is a matter-of-fact kind of guy, a lot like Peter. And so when we're fishing on the boat, Archie has been there his whole life. Literally, I think he's been doing it for like 30 years. He has been a fisherman on this lake. And so when he drives this boat up this river, he goes at Mach 10 and he hits the corners and he, he knows where every tree, every limb, everything is and he misses everything. And I don't even know how he does it. It's really impressive. He knows the river. And when we're going down the middle of the river and we are fishing to the side, often Archie would say, hey, throw on the other side. I mean, cast, stop casting over here and cast over here. Why does he say that? Because he knows by the look of the water where the fish are going to be. And there are times where my dad and I feel like we know better than Archie. And we look and we see a hole and we're like, look at that log, look at that stump. There has to be fish underneath there. And so what we'll do is we'll say, Archie, can we go over there? Can we fish right there? they got to be there. And Archie be like, ah, there's no fish over there, right? And like, no, Archie, let's go. No, we're not going to go. And then eventually what happens is we're able to, you know, to talk him down and we get to go over there and we cast in that hole and he was right. There was no fish in the hole. He knows the river. He knows the fish. He can predict where they're going to be and where they're not going to be because he is a fisherman. It's the same thing here. Fishing is what Peter does. He knew the conditions. He knew that the time of day was not right for fishing so he can make a reasonable prediction. And yet, look at how Peter responds to Jesus' request. Verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. I think it's important to note that Peter's response here shouldn't be seen as a sign of disrespect. First off, look at how he addressed him. He addressed him as master a sign of respect. Secondly, he said, I will do what you're asking me to do. Did he have questions about it? Yes, he did. But in the midst of those questions, he says, I trust you. I am choosing to trust you. I don't get it. Going out in the middle of the day doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But because you tell me, I am choosing to trust you, and he does. This is much like how my dad taught me when it was, uh, we work around the house. My dad wanted me to obey first, and ask questions along the way. 
So when he would give me instruction to go do this job or to do that job, he expected me to respond immediately. And at that point, I could ask questions while I'm on my way to the job or while I'm starting the job. Oftentimes, I wanted to ask questions on the front end. Dad, do you really think this is a good idea? And he would say, he just want me to obey first. And so I would obey first. And more often than not, I would find out while I'm doing it why it was important that he told me what to do. So obeying first, he had my best interest in mind and to get a lot of chores done around the house as well. Peter's actions of obedience outweigh his doubts and his questions. And this is how we are to respond as well. We are to obey even when we don't fully understand. We are to obey when, when we don't fully understand. Peter chose to trust, and because he did so, look at what happens in verse 6. It says, when they had done so, when they had let down their nets, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Friends, make no mistake, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. They didn't just randomly walk across or, or take their boat over a school of fish and just happen to throw their nets and by chance they got a bunch of fish. No, this is an undeniable, supernatural experience. It is a miraculous catch. A miraculous catch. My thought is this is probably where the term boatload came from. Because Peter, he, he, they filled the boats up. And when they went to shore, he's like, we got a boatload of fish. Because they had a boatload of fish. It was a miraculous catch. On my best day of fishing, the best day that I ever had was in 2014. I was out on the Quinault Indian Reservation. And I'm fishing there. And I went actually for two days. And in those two days, I caught... 34 salmon. I felt like every cast I had came back with a fish on the end of it. And they're not small fish. They're big fish like this. They are huge fish to reel in. They're amazing. And when I would cast, I would catch a fish. The other guys in the boat, they weren't catching as many fish. I don't know what it was. God was just blessing me on that day. But it wasn't a miraculous catch. 34 salmon does not start to sink a boat. It was a good day of fishing. It wasn't a miraculous day of fishing. This is a miracle, a full-fledged miracle. And what Jesus is doing is he's giving Peter a sneak peek into who he was and the fact that he is not just an ordinary man. And look at how Peter responds. Verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened... He fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Lord, please leave me. I am a sinful man. For he was astonished by the number of fish they'd caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Friends, two things are happening here. Two things are occurring that universally occur when a human encounters God. And if you have encountered God and you are a follower of Christ, these two same things have happened in your life. Number one, Peter recognized Jesus' deity. He recognized Jesus' God-like nature. 
He recognized that he was or could potentially be the Messiah. Like I said, this is not the first time that Peter had met Jesus. In fact, it happened first in John chapter 1. Here's how they met. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother. That's Simon. That's Peter. And to tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. The Messiah was the promised one that was come to help take the Jews out of the bondage of the Romans. At least that's what they thought. But he was the one to come and save the Israelites. He was promised all the way back into Genesis 3. But what we didn't know and what they didn't know back then, but we know now, is that that promise was not to come and simply save us from the Romans or save God's people from the Romans. It was to save all people, all humanity from our sins. That's the Messiah. And, G- and Peter had an inkling, an idea that just maybe this guy is that guy. Maybe Jesus is the Messiah. His brother came up and said, we think this might be the guy. And we don't know at this point in time if he fully acknowledged him as the Messiah. We just know that this man is from God. If he can control the fish, if he can do the miracles that he's doing, there is something special. There is a God-like characteristic in this man. And so Peter first recognized Jesus' deity. And secondly, Peter recognized his humanity. Almost as a result, he recognized his humanity, his sinfulness. Peter was so awestruck at the miracle that he just witnessed that his very first response was to what? It was to feel his own insignificance in comparison to the man who is right before him. Lord, please leave me, for I am a sinful man. That was his request. He recognized, I I do not deserve to be in the presence of this man. There's something special about him. He is from God. I, I can't be around you. Jesus, leave me. I was trying to think of an example, modern day example. The best I could get was Wayne's World. You know, when Garth and Wayne are running around, they see someone famous, they fall on their knees, and they're like, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. And the reality is, that's exactly what's happening here. Peter sees Jesus, and he's like, I am not worthy, I am a sinful man. And it is the same for us. It is the natural response when we come into something so pure in something so holy, when we encounter Jesus through his word or we encounter Jesus through an experience, our natural desire is to get away. It is to run away. It's to hide away. But here's what's beautiful about Jesus. Here's what's beautiful is that in those moments, those dark moments where we want to hide, where we want to run away, where we feel this shame, Jesus wants to come in and he wants to take that shame away. The very thing that makes us want to hide. He wants, us, he wants that to evaporate. It's called grace. It's called mercy. And Jesus was offering that to Peter, and he is still offering that to us today. He is offering us grace. He's offering us mercy. We don't have to hide. Verse 10, there's a lot in here, so we'll go a little bit slow says this, then Jesus said to Simon, Simon Peter, don't be afraid. And we got to pause here because Jesus is saying this because Peter's obviously a little freaked out at what he just saw, the miraculous nature of what he just witnessed. And, and he's, he's a little fearful 
of who he is in, in, and in comparison to who Jesus is. We don't know what Peter has done. We know that he acknowledges himself as a sinful man, but we do not know what Peter has done. How sinful of a man was Peter? And, and Jesus doesn't even want to touch that. He doesn't even go there. What he says is, do not be afraid. I am here. I am for you. I don't want to talk about what you've done. I want to talk about what you're going to do. Jesus isn't dwelling on Peter's past. He is focused on his future. I notice his words is that they are forward facing for Peter, not, not condemning, forward facing. Check this out. Don't be afraid. From now on, so that's future tense for moving forward. I will, moving forward, future, I will fish, you will fish for men. You were fish for people. No longer, Peter, do I want you to bring me fish. I want you to bring me people. People so that I could save them. People so that I can help them. People so that I can connect them to my Father. I love, I really do, I love how Jesus uh, speaks the language in a manner and in a form that Peter understands. He talked fish with him. And from talking that and from doing so, he was calling him into something more. And Peter had no idea what he was stepping into. He started the day out as a fisherman, and he ended the day with a higher purpose. Verse 11 says, As soon as, and as soon as they landed, they, being James, John, and Peter, they left everything and followed Jesus. Peter left everything. He left his home. He left his livelihood. He left his business. If you think about it, he left the biggest payday that he had ever experienced. They caught so many fish. They have two boatloads of fish that almost caused the boats to sink. That is a lot of money that they literally just left on the shore. They didn't clean the fish. They didn't sell the fish. They just left them there, and they followed Jesus. He dropped everything, his nets, and followed Jesus. Why? Why would he do that? Well, friends, following Jesus requires sacrifice, but here's the deal. It's worth it. It's worth it. Following Jesus requires sacrifice, but it is worth it. Peter noticed that Jesus is more than enough. He is more than enough. He was so compelled by what he saw that he was compelled to follow and that the life ahead, he could tell, was way better than the life that he was leaving behind. Peter would later say this. He said, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life, there you are, looking forward, will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Who is the word of God? The word of God is a who, it's Jesus. In John chapter one, the word was made flesh. It is Jesus, and we are to follow him because he offers new life. In the beginning, when I said we're gonna be doing this series, I said that this series is not gonna be about Peter, and it's not, it's about Jesus. And so the question remains, what do we learn about Jesus from his this interaction, this calling 
of Peter. What do we learn? Here's, the, here's what it is. This is the timeless truth. Jesus is calling us to more. Jesus, like Peter, is calling us to more. If you have ever wondered if there is more to this life than what you can see right in front of you, there's got to be more than what I, what I see. This ordinary, plain existence that I have, there has to be more. The answer is there is something more. And Jesus is calling us to that. He's calling Peter to that in this moment. And Peter had no idea what was ahead. But what he did is he took a step of faith and he went from a fisherman's life to life eternal. Peter trusted Jesus and he answered the call. Jesus was calling him and he's saying, come, follow me. I will make you a fisher of people. You're going to help people, Peter. That's what you're going to do. And so Peter dropped his nets and he followed. He answered the call. I heard a story years and years ago about an unfortunate story about a family whose house caught on fire in the middle of the night. I don't know if they left a candle or a lantern or whatever it was. But all of a sudden their house is on fire and in the middle of the night the parents wake to this. And so they quickly scatter and the first thing that they want to grab are their kids. And so they're running in to try to grab their kids. And in the chaos, they grabbed the kids and they ran down and they got outside the house and they're safe. But at that point, they realized that they're missing one of their little girls. The dad thought the mom got the girl. The mom thought the dad got the girl. They lost her and left her in the confusion. And so in the midst of that, what ends up happening is that the dad all of a sudden starts to run back into the house. He's going to get the little girl. And on his way in there, the flames have gotten so big, so fast, that it is impossible for, possible for him to run through them. And so he cannot make it upstairs to his little girl. And so panicked, he runs back outside. There's no fireman at this point in time. And so he just starts to scream. And he yells for her at the window. And he's screaming at her at the window. And eventually, the little girl finds her way to the window. And the window is open, and he's yelling for her, and honey, you're going to have to jump. And the girl, because of the smoke, is not able to see what's going on. She stumbled her way to the window. She can hear her dad's voice. She could hear her dad calling, say, you're going to have to jump. And so she's, she, but she's like, but dad, I, 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 can't, I can't see anything. I can't see you. And what the dad says is, I see you. You jump, and I will catch you. Just Flip your legs out of the window. You jump and I will catch you. And it's the same thing here. Peter is called, Jesus is calling Peter. And he's saying, take a jump. Take a leap of faith. Step out and follow me. I've got you in this. I've got a good life for you. And as that girl jumps down, the dad catches her. Same thing. When you, Jesus calls you and you take a leap of faith, he will catch you. He will catch you. This is obedience without assurance, right? It's a leap of faith. That's what faith is. And friends, this morning, Jesus is calling you to more, a life that is so much more. You may have heard this before, but Jesus does have a plan for your life. He has a plan for your life. He has a future in mind. You were made on purpose for a purpose. You are not an accident. And if you're asking yourself, is there more to this life? There is. You were made for more than just getting by. You were made for more than just the status quo. You were made for more than just the ordinary. You were made for more than a job during the day and Netflix at night. You were made for more. And Jesus stands 
on the shore and he's calling us out and he's saying, come, come follow me. There is a life of significance. There is a life of impact. There is a life of meaning. And I, I have made it for you. And all we have to do is follow. We have to drop our nets as Peter dropped his nets. And we need to follow Jesus. That's what he's calling us to do today. Friend, that's what he's calling you to do today. Whether you've been following him for 50 years or not, he wants you to follow closer. Whether you've never given your life to him before and chosen to follow, Peter didn't. He all of a sudden said, okay, I'm going to go with this guy. There's something different about this guy, and friends, there is. There's something different, and it's miraculous, and it's good because Jesus is God. And he loves you. That's the best part of this whole entire thing. He loves you like, like crazy like, loves you. And he wants you to follow him simply so that he can give you the best life possible. Not just life on this earth, but life eternal. That's what we get when we follow Jesus. That's what we get when we answer the call. And friends, my prayer is this, is that you would answer that call today like Peter answered it so many years ago. Let's pray.